Trevor, and we are the Boo Crew. Welcome to episode 137. Here's a Boo Crew fright fact. In 1933's King Kong, director Marion C. Cooper promised lead actor Faye Ray that you're going to have the tallest, most handsome leading man in Hollywood. She thought her leading man would be Cary Grant, but it was actually King Kong. This time around, he first appeared on the show back on episode 25, and he makes his return. You are joined by the singer and creative director of a billboard charting band who have constructed an immersive world where their love of horror and music have resulted in something truly unique. Spencer Charnas of Ice Nine Kills. Their latest full-length album is called The Silver Scream. Every song on it is inspired by a different horror film. Spencer talks all about what's going on with the band, including some exclusive announcements and surprises, including a brand new EP. Get the scoop on the Silver Scream Final Cut CD DVD release, and of course we discuss his latest fave horror flicks and more. Episode 137 starts now. This is Spencer from Ice Nine Kills, and you are checking in to another episode of the Boo Crew. Enjoy your sleigh. I'm not gonna hurt you! I'm just gonna bash your fucking Joining the Boo Crew via the Speakeasy Studio is a good friend of the show. He made his first appearance with us back on episode 25 in 2018, and we absolutely fell in love with the guy. He is an insanely talented vocalist, lyricist, de facto art director, dreamer, and creative experience builder for the most ambitious and immersive horror-themed music project that simply ever existed. His Billboard charting band has released three EPs, five studio albums, many surprise songs and tricks and treats along the way, culminating in a reissue of their album, The Silver Screen, dubbed Final Cut on October 25th of 2019, turning their track, A Grave Mistake, into a hit single, peaking in the top 10 on active rock radio charts. Every one of their more than 20 music videos they've done is a highly orchestrated theatrical tribute to the horror films you love. They capture the inspired essence of what being a horror fan is all about, and even more than that, have built an unbelievable 360-degree multimedia experience that expounds on the worlds one can fold an audience into by crafting ways to be reactionary and liquid with your art. He is Spencer Charnas from the band Ice Nine Kills. Yeah. Thank you for having me, and thank you for that, that very kind intro. It's great to be back talking with you guys. And uh, I've missed you. It's been for oh my gosh. Ever. It's been like yeah. over a hundred, which I would yeah. never guess. I know, man. It's crazy. Well, let's. I mean, there's like I said, there's so much to cover. But let's let's just step back just a couple months ago, right? You guys are on tour with Papa Roach and Hollywood Undead. It gets cut one week short. 
and you were told basically the world is on fire. What happens next? It was pretty wild, man. We were on tour with them for about, I want to say like two, maybe three weeks. And it seemed like the virus was actually following us. You know, we would play in Madrid or Barcelona. And then four days later, we'd, we'd learned that that area was in lockdown. So for, for a second, we thought that, that our tour was responsible for it, which, you know, would be, uh, I don't know, I guess maybe a good press look in the horror world, but not, uh, not in uh, the political world. Right. So I was kind of like, I don't want to say in denial about it, but I think I was a little bit naive about really the extent of, of COVID at the time. You know, my dad, who's very up on current events, was telling me, you know, Spencer, I, you know, this tour you're on is, is, is going to get cut short. I'd be very surprised if the spring tour that you have planned goes forward. I'm like, Dad, you're crazy. You're overreacting here. And um, needless to say, he was very much right. And we uh, wrapped up a gig uh, somewhere in Germany. And we were told pretty much right before we played that this was going to be the last show of the tour and uh, was going to be cut a week short. And we were scrambling. We booked our flights that very that very night. And we drove through the night to the airport in Frankfurt. And that night was was the same night that Trump had given that travel ban um, speech. And we were all kind of freaking out because we assumed that when we would get to the airport, it would just be a you know complete madhouse of people rushing to get back in the U.S. And luckily, we sort of just beat that rush. We got to the airport uh, very early in the morning and it, it wasn't abnormal at all. You know, we didn't have masks because it was it wasn't that crazy yet. So I have a, a, a big scarf that I have wrapped around my face walking through the airport trying to carry all my luggage. And um, we got back safely, and uh, I've been uh, in West Hollywood ever since. That's crazy. Yeah, I remember, I mean, when all that stuff, the same thing, as information was coming in, it's like part denial. That can't be that bad. It's like, you know, some some people are saying it's just like a, a really bad flu. And then other people were saying, no, man, go get a deep freeze, put it in your house because you're going to have to buy groceries for like a month. We're, we're going to be a lot. No, no, no. Sure enough, man. Everything just went nuts. It's insane. So how have you how have you been kind of dealing with the lockdown and what's what's your current state of mind as to all these reopenings? And I know the world's trying slowly to find or figure out a new normal and cases are still going up. And what, what's your take on that? How do you feel? Well, for me personally, I spend so much of my time on the road uh, with very, uh, very few breaks in the year. You know, the most we get maybe is a month at a time around the holidays or just in between tours. So telling a person like me, hey, you're going to have to spend a few months home isn't really the worst thing in the world for me. I got to be honest. I've tried to remain positive about the whole situation and look at it as an opportunity to write new music, to spend the time creating new ideas and planning out the next album and uh, the, the multimedia that surrounds our band. And I, I've been really pleased at what I've been coming up with. And I'm just trying to look at it as, hey, this is just sort of shifting the schedule for me. You know, I was supposed to be out on the road uh, in Europe, which was cut a week short. And then I was supposed to go out with Five Finger Death Punch and Papa Roach in what would have been 
the biggest tour of our career, you know, playing arenas for the first time. Uh, but I'm just looking at it as a, as a chance to get a jump on uh, new music. And uh, I've been having an all right time. As far as other tour plans go, what's the latest with that? What are you guys hearing? Are you guys still preparing for touring in, I mean, later this year or 2021? What's, what's the kind of headspace for that? I guess technically the, the, you know, the tour that we were supposed to do in the spring uh, has been rescheduled for the fall. I don't know. I know I couldn't say for certain uh, what the state of the world will be uh, at that time frame. I'm hoping it happens, but um, it seems like uh, a lot of people are saying 2021 uh, is going to be the first opportunity for, for touring as, as we knew it to resume and, uh, I, you know, I'm trying to come up with some some plans that really work for our band. You know, I, I see drive-in theaters starting to do concerts. And I feel like, you know, what better band than Ice Nine Kills to, to do some sort of experience at the drive-in where we play one of our films or play one of our favorite films and then have some sort of concert that accompanies it and, and kind of harness that retro era of cinema when, when the drive-in ruled a time which which I never got to experience. So it it might be a, a cool, uh, bloody uh, blessing in disguise. Or something. <laughs> well, if anyone can nice. figure this out, it's you guys. I mean, that, that sounds amazing. That sounds that, so much fun. Yeah, it'd be so perfect. Yeah. A ton has happened, as we said, since we first spoke back in 2018. I want to just back up to around then, if we could. And one of those things is there was a film you just adore called Scream. One of young Spencer Charnas's first horror film experiences in a theater, a film that meant the world to you. And you guys even played at the Scream house in Stu's garage. At the time when we talked, there was no Ice Nine Kills song about Scream yet. And you finally were able to bring it to life and include it on Final Cut with your numbers up. So seeing as that film meant so much to you, what was the process like of finally deciding that now was the time? Man, it's been sort of a song that's like, you know, over 20 years in the making just because that movie is such a part of, of my love of the genre. And I think the catalyst for saying, hey, we, we really need to get this going and we really need to write a great song was visiting that house. I mean, just walking in the, the front door to Stu's house, which, which is in Tamales, California, uh, basically in, in wine country, a beautiful part of California, north of San Francisco. It was, it was one of the craziest moments I've ever experienced because you're, you're, you're walking into cinema history. And for me, I visited other filming locations, but this was the one that really looked exactly like the film and exactly how you would imagine being in there a lot of films especially interior stuff they, they do a lot of they do a lot of tricks to make you think that this is part of the house or that you're stepping into another room but it's really either on um, an interior set or a different house and this house was set up just like the movie to the um, meticulous details of the microwave still being there that was used in the film. <laughs> no way! Uh, That's crazy. Yeah. And, you know, I, I checked in the inside to make sure that the dates lined up, and this it, it, it said that it was manufactured sometime in 1995, so so it, it lined up perfectly with, with the timing of, of the filming of Scream. And, um, you know, I'm walking around the house, and I, I've got my phone uh, 
queuing up the, the, the scenes from the movie and I'm just trying to match everything. And, you know, little stuff like one of the um, knife wounds in the door uh, from, from the shot where he's chasing Sydney around after, after Billy, you know, uh, pretends to have died and that knife wound is still in the door. Um, it's it, it just absolutely crazy. And playing in the garage, uh, the, one of the songs from the movie, it, it was just the whole experience really filled me with the feeling that, Hey, we got to do this. And it was just one of the most fun songs to put together. I really wanted to harness the energy of the film, especially the, uh, the opening scene, which I still think is viewed as an important part of not only horror, but of just movie history in general. And I was just really excited about how it turned out. This year, we learn Scream 5 is going to be done with the Ready or Not team, which is so exciting. Oh, yeah. The Radio Silence guys uh, creating that new one. Oh, my God. And that Nev Campbell's coming along and David Arquette. And I just want to say that we need to hear a song on that soundtrack. You have to be in that movie. I, I, I would give anything to, to, to be a part of it. And I'm, I'm so excited about the fact that we're going to get another scream and I was a really big fan of ready or not. And I think it's a really interesting choice, uh, interesting directing team to tackle the project. And um, I'm really hopeful about, about the fact that I think it's going to be great. Did you end up capturing any audio when you played at the scream house that ended up on the scream track? I know you've done that in the past by visiting a film location and, and recording something that makes it onto a song. I think at that time we, we weren't sure, um, you know, anything as far as the lyrics or anything like that. Uh, so unfortunately not, but that would have been really cool. We did reach out, uh, had our team reach out to Roger Jackson, to, who of course, um, you know, did the voice for, for Ghostface in the entire series, who, who was just absolutely incredible. And there are some licensing and, and, and rights um, issues in that because he doesn't own the character of Ghostface. So if we had him on the track, he couldn't really do that voice. So uh, I, I was uh, the person who did, you know, the little parts that, that imitated Roger. And I was actually really, really happy with how it turned out. Um, and it, it was fun to be able to sort of step into those boots and, uh, and try to harness that, 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 that malevolent tone that he, he possesses that I think is one of the, one of the greatest, like, vocal performances in the history of movies. Yeah, dude, it's iconic. And then how did you find Sarah J. Bartholomew, who played the, the role of the victim, Sarah Becker? So that actually is uh, our guitarist, Dan Sugarman's girlfriend. No way! And she's a, a fantastic actress and, and dancer and singer. And I knew that she could, she could bring the right emotion to the part. And I, when we were recording her vocals at the studio and there's that last part in the song where she's like, you know, you hear like the gurgling noises of her being killed and she really went for it. She's like a method actor and was writhing around in pain on the ground. And there's definitely like a ten, 10 second silence after the performance where we were all a bit disturbed. And uh, she, she really did a great job. And it's funny, you know, Dan um, who plays guitar for us, uh, his uncle is actually a horror uh, film veteran. He was in Friday the 13th part two. That's amazing. He plays the only uh, surviving member of Friday the 13th part two. He's got the red hair. He's also in um, Once Bitten, 
That was Jim Carrey's first movie. Yeah, I remember that. That vampire movie. Right. Oh, my God. Exactly. And he was also in Christine, obviously written by Stephen King. He's just a, a fantastic actor. And I thought it was cool when he was auditioning for a band. It's like, your uncle was in Friday the 13th Part 2. So uh, it, it just was like the, the, uh, the nail in the coffin for getting the part in the band. You know, he's a fantastic guitarist, but that was like, oh man, your your uncle was in Friday the 13th part two. And that, that's Stu Charno is his name. When we last talked to you, was that was Dan in the band at that point? Do we even know this? I don't remember if we knew this. No, he, he actually had just recently joined the band pretty, pretty shortly after that interview, actually. And uh, he was an amazing guitarist that was recommended to us. And uh, he also noted when we were first talking, like, hey, my uncle uh, played Ted in Friday the 13th. I was like, oh, my God, I know exactly who you're talking about. Wow. And I've, got a, I've got a good feeling about that guy. And uh, it worked out great. And I know that Dan has shown him our song, Thank God It's Friday, and he, he, he really enjoyed it. So that was a cool little connection of, of horror movie history for the band. Yeah, that's right. Some more lineage. I love that. And then, yeah. when, so when you did end up releasing Final Cut, the album got like a really cool new cover featuring the band and what it has evolved to in its final kind of visual form that's been carried out through this past year or so. And you and the hybrid Jason Freddy get up and everything. Who did the artwork for that? So we work with a guy named Mike Cortada, who's been with us for several years now. He basically designs every sort of visual element we have as far as merchandise, graphics, uh, our album covers. And he really gets that 80s, you know, VHS, uh, golden age of the slasher film vibe. And he just did a beautiful job with the cover. And we uh, have released and it's actually shipping in the next couple of weeks, finally, because the COVID kind of set back the production, the, the Silver Screen Final Cut is going to be complete with the movie in its final form. It's going to come uh, with a bonus featurette. Actually, this is the first time I'm, I'm saying any of this. So this is a little bit of a sneak preview to what's going to be on the, the DVD. I love it. It's going it. to have a featurette about, about my experience at, at the house from Scream. And it's got a director commentary, uh, commentary from me, and it comes actually in a VHS box and it slides out to have the, the Silver Screen album as well as the DVD. Oh, wow. that's killer. That's, that's so great. So cool. <laughs> oh, man. That's awesome. Make sure to get your copy. Uh, there is a pre-order that's been going on for a few months right now, and uh, the fans have just been chomping at the bits and have, have been so patient about it with sort of the delays. And we had to go through a little bit of red tape with the property owners for the for the featurette that we had filmed and a, a few rights issues that we all got cleared up. And I'm just really excited for people to, to have this material, and, and it'll be the first real, you know, film release that I've done properly with a, with a physical uh, portion. And uh, I'm just really excited for everyone to check it out. I wanted to talk about this too. Again, going over stuff that we've missed since 2018. So you end up releasing a video for Mary Axmas, your song based on 1984's Silent Night, Deadly Night. Not only did you pull that off, but you end up releasing a video game and a retro game TV commercial with like Ice Nine Kills and the Sega logo and everything. And you play the game and based yeah. on how you do, you get exclusive from the band and everything. Talk about the evolution of that idea. I remember like my jaw hit the floor when I saw that. Well, thank you so much. It actually all um, was the brainchild of a little idea I had. 
about just making a fake commercial for the, for a video game. You know, I, I thought, oh man, it would be really cool to make a video game, but you know, that that's not possible right now. So um, I, I got our video team to put together a little retro commercial that was like kind of campy and I wrote the dialogue to it and I reached out to a, a voice actor that I know is great for that kind of stuff and put together a, a little fun commercial. I always like that kind of marketing that isn't necessarily direct marketing, you know, like that, that um, TV show, Barry, for instance, in LA, when that show was, was premiering, they didn't just have ads for the show, Barry, they had ads for the fake acting class that, that was being taught in the show yeah. by actually Henry Winkler is, is the character, the guy that plays that character. And I just thought, man, I, I love that kind of marketing. That's that sort of not directly marketing the show, but it kind of gives gravity to the whole project. So I thought that that would be a cool way to promote uh, or that song by just having a fake video game that looked like it came out sometime in the, in the late eighties or early nineties. And then, um, you know, I said to the label and I said to our team, you know, is there any way we can really put to actually put together a video game? And I, I think the advantage we had to that is that, Hey, we're not trying to put together a game that that's competitive in the market of 2020 with insane graphics. We're trying to put together something that's like eight bit and retro that's fairly primitive. So is that possible? And we found the right team and it, it ended up turning out beautifully and it, it was really fun to play. It was very difficult to play at first, but I got the hang of it. Yeah, no, <laughs> I remember playing like you can play it on online or on, on your mobile phone yeah. still. And it's yeah, it's so awesome. It's like a hybrid of like an Atari game mixed with like Super Mario Brothers, like jumping around and stuff. Exactly. It's so fun. So during all this time, obviously, the band's live show has made astounding leaps and bounds with multiple costume changes started to be introduced you were teaming up with lighting people behind large stage shows like Les Mis and Phantom of the Opera how has the energy put into the live show intensified as you saw kind of the overall experience of the band being elevated over the past year or so it was really fun to get in there and and, and bring about a visual show that that matched the, the music and that's always sort of been the goal but when we released the album, we had already been booked to play, uh, you know, numerous support tours, which, which turned out to be f fantastic tours. And, and we had a lot of fun. But when you're not the headlining act, it's difficult to use a lot of production for various different reasons. And uh, when we did the Octane Accelerator tour this past fall on the, on the first real proper headlining tour for the Silver Scream album cycle, we finally had the budget and the time uh, and the resources to put something great together. So we sourced some really, really talented people, um, a lighting crew that, um, as you had mentioned, ha had worked on uh, Broadway level stage shows like Les Miserables and Phantom and, um, you know, uh, incredible uh, team of um, makeup and actresses. And we, uh, we rented this rehearsal space in, in the middle of nowhere, in, in sort of Lancaster, Pennsylvania area, it's this big musical complex that, that if you walked into, he said, this is so random that this is here. It's like a <laughs> fully functioning, beautiful, almost like hard rock hotel kind of um, vibe resort. And then uh, a complex attached to it that has several different rooms um, for 
big acts to come through and, and do pre-production of tours. I think uh, they even have um, a, like sort of a mock arena, which I believe like Taylor Swift has even used to, to get ready for, you know, a big tour with, with tons of lighting and production. So we were there for a few days and we, uh, we really went to work and I, I sort of had a vision for how I wanted each song to go and each costume change. And we kind of meticulously went through lighting cues and um, how to change costumes in time. And it was definitely a learning process and took a few days uh, and a few days into the tour to really get the swing of things. But we just have a fantastic crew and, and every really, everyone really pitched in and uh, uh, brought their A game. And it, it, it turned out to be a well-oiled machine about a week into it. And was that around that time when it was a birth of uh, the VIP experience where there's you playing horror trivia with fans and all of that? Exactly. Yeah, that, that, that's been something I've wanted to do for a long time because uh, we've been doing VIP for years. And, and after a while, it just gets a bit stagnant. You know, everyone kind of does the same thing. And, and we sort of fell into that trap, too. It's like, how many times can you, you know, just get a, a laminate and a signed poster and a, a quick photo? So I was thinking, what could we do that that would be engaging with everybody? And I thought that horror trivia would be really fun. Um, and we had our bassist, Joe, uh, we actually called it Horror Jeopardy, we changed it to, um, and had uh, Al Axe Trebek, uh, A-L-A-X-E Trebek. <laughs> nice. He would hold an axe and host the game. And uh, originally the way we did it is we split it, um, you know, each band member got a team. So, you know, 20 people went with me, 20 people went with Joe, 20 people, so on, so on. And uh, eventually it was just becoming a situation where I would just win every time. It wouldn't be fair. My team would win every time. So we, we decided, how about everybody versus me? So that's how we went forward with it. Literally, you know, no matter if there was 50 or 100 people in the VIP, it was everybody versus me. And I, I think I won about 95% of the time, which was pretty cool. That's amazing. <laughs> That's awesome. Where do you come up with an idea like that? And do, do the people around you and around the band ever go, I mean, it's never been done before. We're not sure really how to figure it out. I guess we'll try and see how it goes. Like, how is that? How does it all come together? Everyone, you know, is really supportive uh, of my ideas and we just have, you know, the band members I have are just such good, easygoing people that they're down to try anything. And, and, and uh, same, same with our team, you know, our tour manager and um, lighting guy, sound guy, makeup, everyone does multiple jobs. So pretty much everyone on our team is involved in everything from the the makeup to the lighting to the, to the VIP. So everyone pitches in and we figured out the most uh, logistically sound way to do it. And uh, it, it was, it was a great success. And it was funny. I remember specifically the last question, I think of the last day of the tour, the answer was actually our guitarist uncle and they didn't even get it. I, I had to get it. So I thought that was pretty funny. Dude, I can just imagine touring around with you guys sitting on the bus and having these conversations like, what can we do that would make a <laughs> VIP experience interesting? What can we do for the next video or what can we do for a live show? One of those things, I would have to say the conversations surrounding the creation of Jason's Mom, which you guys released for the 40th anniversary of the original Friday the 13th, also coincided with Mother's Day. 
has got some of the funniest lines in there. I mean, Jason's mom has got it going on with a body count that rivals her son. Right. Was that stuff that was, uh, that had to have been like conversations that were happening on buses and, and tours for years, I would imagine, no? Actually, it's funny. I got really lucky with that one. It was, uh, I want to say it was about mid to late-ish April. And I, I've always loved Fountains of Wayne. And uh, especially that song, like, I'm, you know, I play in, in a band that has, obviously very heavy elements, but I'm, I'm a pop guy at heart and I love great melodies and I love sort of tongue in cheek lyrical content. And that song kind of has that innocent, almost throwback to, to, to the golden age of, of, of rock and roll, you know, almost has like kind of a beach boys element too, with those sugary backup vocals and stuff. And for whatever reason, it just came into my head, man, I'm surprised no one's ever done a parody uh, using Jason's mom uh, for that song. <laughs> and then I said, and then I thought to myself, oh my God, next month is Mother's Day. You know, it didn't, didn't, it didn't dawn on me like, oh, it's Mother's Day, Mother's Day is coming up. Let me think of some clever thing to do. It just kind of fell into place. I was like, oh my God, we have to, we have to do this and we have to release it on Mother's Day. So I wrote the lyrics, I would say this almost the same day, within a couple of days, we put it together and everyone did a great job on it. Um, I, I recorded my vocal parts at um, our bassist Joe's house, who, who had just moved here from from East Coast, and uh, we sent it to the rest of the guys, and everyone put their stamp on it, and it, it turned out great. And it was it was it was really fun to put together, and we we timed it up with a our record label was doing sort of a live stream on Mother's Day or the day before. So we premiered it there. And I also got Ari Lehman, who played the original Jason, on air to do a little interview. And then we, we premiered the song. So it was very fitting and, and, and very Mother's Day oriented. Killed Kevin Bacon after lovemaking. It's <laughs> <laughs> classic. Yeah, I was going to mention, uh, speaking of Fountains of Wayne, I'm sure you heard about Adam Schlesinger, right? Yes. And, and, and that was another uh, thought that I had in my head. I was like, you know, wouldn't it be nice to be able to pay tribute to him? Because obviously, extremely talented songwriter um, and very, very young age to, to unfortunately pass away. And uh, I was glad we were able to, you know, make people aware when we put it out. You know, this is also a tribute to a great song and a great songwriter. The Boo Crew will be right back. What are you afraid of? Some fear being alone in the dark. Some fear the darkness inside themselves. Some fear what the future will bring. Some fear what has lived in the past. But given the right time and the right place, there's one thing we're all afraid of. A ghost story. Ghost story. Rated R. Under 17, not admitted without parent. Something happened in Orlando, April 26, 2019, the subject of an awesome documentary you guys just put out, featuring a special version of It Is The End that is unforgettable. So what could you tell everybody about it who hasn't seen it or who doesn't know what went down? So we were on tour uh, a little over a year ago um, with a, a very good band called Falling in Reverse. And I think it was right before we started the tour, I got a call from our booking agent saying, Hey, um, 
you guys aren't playing the Orlando date of this tour at the House of Blues. And I was like, what do you mean the show is canceled? And he basically said, no, Disney has officially added Ice Nine Kills to the list of band performers for your uh, evil uh, lyrical content. You know, it doesn't doesn't um, hold up to their standards of morality. And so, you know, at first I was like, are you kidding me? Like, I was a little bit pissed just because... I love playing in Orlando and we've got a great following there and, and the city has always been great to us. But then I just kind of started to laugh my ass off and think it was kind of cool and a, and a little bit funny. And so I thought instead of making some serious statement about, you know, sent down with censorship and this is terrible boycott us of blues. I thought, you know, why, why don't we just poke fun at the whole situation and release a line of merchandise that, that, inserts Disney characters into the horror movies that, that we love. And I, I again, call my, my good friend, Mike Cortada and, and put together a, uh, a, a line of merchandise. And it, it turned out to be getting banned from Disney turned out to be some of the best press the band has ever had because, you know, a ton of news sources picked it up. I did, you know, some interviews with like billboard magazine about it and it turned out to be, one of our best-selling uh, merchandise lines ever, and, and we just released uh, part two. We called it Too Evil for Children this time. It, it, I think this line even tops the last one. Uh, my favorite uh, is Minnie as Carrie uh, at the prom with, with blood covering her. And it, it's just a, it's a really fun one. And um, because we had missed that show, we decided, hey, let, let's, let's try to find another venue that will allow us to play in Orlando. And we found this little punk rock venue. I think it's like maybe a 400 capacity venue, just a small little intimate kind of a club called Sound Bar. And the show sold out like instantaneously. I think within the first day, the tickets were gone. And we had a lot of fun at that show. And, you know, during the tour, we had uh, one of our crew members dress up as Mickey walking the line of the of the concert. With the, flipping, the, with flipping the bird to everybody. <laughs> flipping the bird and the, the other side of the sign said it's not Walt's fault and uh, you know the, the funniest thing is you wouldn't believe how hard it is to find a legit looking Mickey costume they don't sell it like through Disney so I I actually uh, my mom helped me find it she's really good at finding props online she's got a knack for it and when we found this really legit custom made Mickey costume I think we got it from Japan and uh it, it, was, it was just really fun. You know? and, and since then, we have uh, Mickey come up with a yellow raincoat before it is the end, sort of a Mickey-Georgie uh, hybrid. Um, <laughs> so that's kind of become a staple of the show. And yeah, we filmed a little documentary during, uh, during the day of that Orlando sort of, we, we dubbed it the Revenge Show and uh, got a lot of cool interviews from fans about you know, why they love the band and why they love horror. And, and I probably the most unforgettable part of the night is seeing a, like a little, a four year old kid on top of his dad's shoulders in the front row, just singing every word to every song we played and uh, getting to reach out my hand towards him and, and calling him Georgie at the end of the, the set was, was a really funny, cool moment to see that horror is very much alive in, in, in our youth. And uh, the fact that we can contribute to that at all is, is really cool. Is Orlando the place where they had the bagel place that made a silver scream cheese bagel? That is absolutely correct. <laughs> um, 
I, I've, I've always wanted to, to do something with the band and food, and uh, I, thought that, I, thought, I thought that would be a per- perfect name for it. <laughs> so, I mean, the band has so so much become this cohesive, creative machine, almost, where you're able to do things at a very high high speed, almost like the speed of thought, and to be reactionary, like I had said in, in the introduction. What opportunities exist in being able to have that with your art, to be able to have a team that can really bring any idea to life within a matter of days? You know, we're in a very fortunate uh, position, and um, I, I'm, I'm very appreciative of, of our label and our management and uh, the road crew and our band members because it's a very uh, self-sustaining machine, and uh, it's it's really a tribute to everyone else, you know, not just me that that, that has the expertise in all, all these different areas, whether it's uh, video production. Or, uh, you know, re- recording uh, a cover at the drop of the hat and being able to, to, to have talented band members record it in a professional manner and then us ship it off to uh, our, our producer who can mix it in a matter of days. It, it's really great. And it, it's really what I've been working towards for so long. You know, obviously back in the day when you start any kind of business or, or band uh, in particular, you're really on your own trying to figure out things and, and trying to outsource it to the right people and, and build the right team. And often, oftentimes you're, you're kind of just, you have to do everything yourself, very DIY. And the, the fact that we've assembled uh, such a great team, it means a lot to me. And I, I'm, I'm just grateful. What was the seed of the idea behind your nightmare on the ninth initiative and being able to do great limited merchandise at, at times tied to charities like back in January for the Australian wildfires or recently the shirts and masks you guys did teaming up with Music Cares and Sweet Relief during the pandemic? Yeah, that's, that's really cool. You know, I, I got the idea really from sitting out at a coffee shop on Fairfax in West Hollywood that's right across from that store Supreme. And I think that's the, the flagship store of that brand. And I would just see hundreds of people just lined up down the block to get into Supreme. And I'm thinking, what, what the hell are these people selling? You know, I mean, this is insane. This yeah. is not a normal occurrence at a, at a clothing store. And I, I looked into it a little bit and I realized that it's, it's limited drops. They, what they do is they, they make product and they never sell it again. And so people become obsessed with it and it gains a sort of cult following. And I thought, oh, man, wouldn't that be really cool to be able to do for our fans and not just like on a monetary level for us, but just, you know, I always think about things as a fan and as a collector and I thought, well, you know, one, let's try applying that idea to our merchandise and making it a real event of sorts. And it, it just turned out to work out um, beautifully. And I'm, I'm blown away by some of the pictures I see that we get sent of people that are like, hey, check out my Nightmare on the Ninth collection. And, and I, uh, I shit you not. I mean, you know, some of these kids have shirts that, that span like their entire driveway. They've collected wow. every single nine thing. And I'll, I'll send you guys a picture. And um, yeah, the level of fandom that, that uh, our people go through is so impressive. And uh, we're really lucky to be able to do that. And with the charity stuff, um, you know, for instance, the Australia thing, we had never been Australia before December and we were leaving just as sort of the wildfires were breaking out. And 
we just had an unbelievable time there, especially for a first time. You know, the, the, the smaller shows that we had booked in between the festival dates all sold out with kids, you know, singing the words like they've known us their entire lives. And we were just treated so well by Australia that we thought, hey, it's so easy for us to throw this shirt up that we already have with um, Freddy Krueger as a kangaroo that we had been selling at the, at the shows. And, uh, you know, we put it up and it ended up raising a a lot of money. And, you know, that kind of stuff doesn't cost us anything. And it's like, how could we not when it's just so easy to do? And so we like to do that stuff from time to time when we find um, causes that we really back. As far as collecting, have you added any new stuff to your collection being props or action figures or anything cool? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm always looking for new stuff. And um, I don't know if I had the props uh, the, the last time I talked to you, but a, a good friend of mine, uh, Nate, who ended up running the Scream Comes Home event that we played at as uh, sort of a thank you to me, sent me two screen uh, used items from Scream 4. This really this bloody lamp that's very visible in the scene uh, where the, the ghost face jumps out of the closet and just slaughters this one girl in the bedroom. Um, so I have that set up next on my nightstand right next to me while I sleep. That's how crazy I am. <laughs> that's awesome. And as well nice. as the, the bedpan that, that uh, David Arquette gets hit over the head with by uh, Emma Roberts like five times. It's just a really funny scene at the end of Scream 4. And uh, I have that bedpan, which is actually a foam piece, but it looks, you know, it looks like a, you know, a real metal bedpan. So that's part of my collection. Something that's that's also so interesting is that one of our other guitarists, and and again, another crazy sort of uh, connection to horror for Ice Nine Kills, my other guitarist's father, back in the mid 80s, mid to late 80s, was doing a deal um, selling his 1965 white Mustang to a business associate of his. And they were, they were kind of trying to figure out um, the exact price and started to barter a little bit. And the guy said, hey, well, you know, I have one of the uh, harpoon guns that was used in Jaws. Wow. So oh, to damn. sweeten that deal, he, the guy threw that in. And uh, I think there were, I guess there were four harpoon guns used on that film and uh apparently this is one of them so i'm trying to get my hands on that i'm I'm talking to uh his dad about it and trying to uh make an offer because i mean that's uh to to have sort of the holy grail of the original summer blockbuster would would be quite a quite a uh, addition to the collection oh Oh, if you get it i have to see it yeah (laughs) Yeah, I'll, i'll bring it in Oh my God. That's amazing. Is there anything else? I don't even know if we asked, if we asked you this last time, is there anything else that would be like a grail piece you would just love to get your hands on for your collection? Man, there are so many things. I would really love uh, a screen use Myers mask from anything besides resurrection. I don't, I don't even really count that as part of the the franchise, but uh, any other uh, screen use Myers mask, I think would be, Absolutely incredible. I'm partial to the one in Curse of Michael Myers, part six. I, I think that's that's one of my favorite looks of the mask because it sort of respects the original, but um, it's it's this added sort of malevolence that I really, really adore about that particular mask. There's been so many horror movies that have come up since that we've spoke. 
Midsummer wasn't even out. Ready or not. Uh, the Invisible Man, obviously. It Chapter 2, I don't even think, was out when we last Happy spoke. Death Day to you. Yeah, happy Death Day? Oh my gosh, it's so Prodigy. Many. Are there any that you've seen in the past little while that you've loved? Yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned a few of them already. Uh, happy Death Day, I thought, was amazing. And, and I, I really love the sequel as well. I thought it was just a great combination of the, the love of slashers with Groundhog's Day, which is one of my favorite comedies with Bill Murray. I just thought that it was expertly done and really funny. I really did like chapter it chapter two. I know it was a bit divisive. Some people didn't like it. Some people liked it. But I thought it was great and uh, had such a powerful opening, a kind of a disturbing opening that you need in a horror film. And anytime I see a horror film that doesn't look like they're they're going forward in the beginning, I'm like, well, what are you doing? You Got to have a an amazing opening sequence. But other than that, I think. Honestly, The Invisible Man was was one of the best thrillers that I've seen in the last few years. I thought it was beautifully directed and, and just the, the use of, you know, what you don't see is scarier than what you do see. I did that movie just kept me on the edge of my seat the entire time. And I'm really excited to, to see what else uh, that guy Lee does, because he's clearly like a, a master of the genre. Other than that, you know, I, I've been really diving deep into shutter like that's like my new favorite thing to, to to watch it's like going to the video store again man isn't it absolutely just sort of digging deep on, on some of the forgotten gems like you know like the mutilator or or like pieces and being being able to have like a netflix devoted to that and and also just just watching joe bob Briggs's show every week has been really entertaining but yeah lo- lo- lots of good stuff coming out i've been enjoying myself did you end up seeing uh, scare package when Joe Bob premiered it? I didn't end up seeing that. I missed that week, but I've heard great things about it. And I love anthologies. Yeah, you would love, I think you would love it, dude. It's, yeah, it, great. it speaks to you. That's really cool. We, we, we actually, whenever we send out like um, a package to, you know, either like a tastemaker of the genre or, or, or like a thank you or something, we, we often call it a scare package. So when I heard that name for the movie, it's like, this is right up my alley. And as far as like slasher goes, that movie Haunt that's on Shudder is a really good one. I don't know if you saw that. Did you see that one? I've heard a lot about it, and uh, I, I know it has is something to do with haunted houses, right? Yeah, that, that's, that's right. Wrong. Yep. That's definitely on my list to check out. I've, I've heard really good things about it. And Three from Hell, the follow-up to Devil's Rejects, had come out, too. I did end up seeing that. I, you know, I really love pretty much anything Rob Zombie does, and uh, he just... Uh, he has his own style, and uh, I think it it's developed really beautifully over the years. And um, to see, you know, how far he's come uh, since the beginning has has been really awesome. And just looking forward to seeing more stuff from him. He always brings it. We know you're a big Shining fan, Mike Flanagan's Doctor Sleep. I was blown away by that. I, I uh, I'm sure, like most uh, fans of the original, uh, was pretty giddy when when he he returned to. Uh, the overlook and you know you're going around seeing the little remnants and nods to the original and that was so cool. he's looking through yeah when he's looking through the door uh you know and you see the red rum and all of that stuff was really cool and actually this past fall we got to play at the stanley hotel we did an acoustic set which is the hotel where stephen king stayed and wrote the novel inspire the whole thing so we played an acoustic set at the hotel 
which was pretty amazing. We had a little uh, little party there, and, and and that was pretty cool. And they, they, the hotel treated us very nicely. And incidentally, uh, they also filmed Dumb and Dumber at the same hotel. So <laughs> no got, way! Uh, yeah, <laughs> horror and comedy and, uh, collide. Exactly. And uh, at the bar, you, you know, the scene in Dumb and Dumber was like, oh, we landed on the moon because he sees the, the article frame. That's really framed at that bar. And I guess that was just a uh, ad lib from Jim Carrey as he was walking out of the scene. Oh, genius. What do you so think good. Halloween is going to look like this year? I don't know. what. Oh, it's- just in general with yeah. the pandemic? Yeah, it's, uh, it's uh, a question that's been on my mind uh, for a while, you know, n- not in just in terms of. The release of um, Halloween Kills, which, you know, I'm, I'm assuming now because movie theaters are, are starting to opening that we'll, we'll get that theatrical release, which, you know, I, which I was a little bit nervous about. You know, what are they going to do about that? As someone that spends a lot of time in Salem uh, during Halloween and we often do like a pop up shop for Ice Nine Kills and Cleaver on the street fair. Yeah, I've been thinking about that, too. But uh, I'm hoping that by that time, you know, we have a little bit more information on on what really is safe you know i'm sort of sort of torn on uh, between the idea of, of kind of resuming life without the masks and stuff and uh, i think it's a little premature for me just kind of going right back to things but as a fan of halloween you know where everyone's wearing masks anyway maybe maybe it'll work out for the best right exactly. <laughs> yeah it makes sense i, I just don't yeah. want their like i'm sad i don't think there's halloween horror nights or not right well, i don't know like you would think like horror mazes would be the exact thing you don't want to bring back right now and that is sad unless they can think of some way to do it but Horror mazes, by definition, you're in a crowded, small place, right? But With like, people right. coming into you, coming up to you, right? But maybe social and distancing. Screaming. Yeah, exactly. And screaming. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's true. Spit flying everywhere. And then trick-or-treating, obviously going to stranger, multiple strangers' houses asking for, you know, candy. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know either, man. And it's like on a Saturday this year, you get an extra an hour of sleep. Like, ugh. oh, yeah, it's because it's right. like, was it daylight state at the beginning? Yeah. It's all these weird things about Halloween this it, year. It like yeah. lined up to be the perfect Halloween and it's not sounding like the perfect Halloween. Anyways, sorry. I keep myself up all night. thinking. Maybe this, this is when Ice Nine Kills does it, the drive in experience yes. on Halloween night because no one has shit to do. <laughs> right? Save us. I think we could come up with something pretty good uh, that is scary and, and fitting of the location. I, I did hear something, some murmuring about uh, some sort of event that they're trying to do in Los Angeles that would be uh, you don't leave your car, kind of a, a haunted hayride, but you do it with your car. I heard murmuring about that. I don't know if it's true. That's but, a cool oh. way. Yeah, I like that idea. That sounds awesome. Nice. I'm hoping that. That comes to fruition because I would I would be first in line for that. But yeah, def- definitely a lot of disappointment in the fact that, you know, I'm sure there would have been uh, some big events around like, you know, the 40th anniversary of Friday the 13th with some really cool screenings and, and that kind of stuff. And obviously with Halloween, the new Halloween coming up in October. And that's, you know, sort of being the height of convention season. It, it really is a bummer. But uh, hopefully the... Uh, the minds in, in the business figure out some some ways to, to make some cool things happen, even with COVID probably still prevalent in that time. Let's talk a bit about what's in the immediate future of Ice Nine Kills and stuff that's popping and, and coming out in the next little while. 
Yeah. So um, going on the subject of that uh, release we uh, or that show rather that we performed at the Stanley Hotel, um, which, of course, was the inspiration for The Shining. We are going to be releasing that live acoustic EP this month, uh, depending on when this show airs sometime uh, in June. That is going to be coming out. It's called Undead and Unplugged Live at the Stanley Hotel. And uh, the artwork uh, that was created for this is just beautiful and uh, really, really excited about people's reaction to it. And it features um, an acoustic version uh, of a song we've never done in that format uh, called Enjoy Your Slay, which is actually written about The Shining. So it was, it was pretty uh, surreal to be able to play that song that night. And uh, I'm really excited for that to release. And then other than that, you know, just continuing to work on new ideas. We got some really exciting kind of secretive things in the works, um, including new products and, and new new uh, mediums uh, for Ice Nine Kills and new music, uh, hopefully coming very soon. You know, w- with what's going on, there's a little bit of a question. Hey, do you, you know, how much do you release without uh, being able to tour and promote an album? So that kind of stuff we're trying to figure out. But uh, uh, Ice Nine Kills fans can rest assured that we're we're working on some really exciting, exciting stuff. Yeah, I was curious, were there any uh, special, specific filming, uh, you know, recording locations in, in terms of like the Stanley, like, you know, maybe room 217 or room 237, anything like that? We didn't um, actually record or, or do anything in, in those areas, but we did get a full tour of the grounds, which included checking out, you know, the infamous room and just being being near that room was uh, was was pretty scary. And they kind of took took us underground and told us about the the spiritual activity that supposedly has occurred there and uh, we saw one woman uh, just sitting in a chair in one of the hallways just with a camcorder if you could believe it someone had a camcorder just videotaping empty space and we're like what is this woman doing and eventually figured out she was trying to capture some sort of spiritual activity uh, in the hall, which I didn't end up seeing, but we definitely got some really cool stories told to us by the tour guide. One of which involves the actually during the filming of Dumb and Dumber, Jim Carrey um, insisted on staying uh, in in the infamous room, and I guess the the first or the second night he just he woke out of the uh, out of his sleep at like four a.m. and ran downstairs and said, "Get me out of this hotel! I'm never staying here again." Whoa! Oh wow! And stayed off. Um, the hotel uh, as far as um, staying there for the rest of the shoot. So if that story's true, that's that's pretty scary. <laughs> One thing we never brought up, I remember we talked off mic about this when we, you were leaving the house and we were doing the last interview back in 2018. But the fact that Stan Kubrick's grandson, Sam Kubrick, plays a role in the original version of Enjoy Your Slay that appears on the silent screen. We never talked about that. Yeah, that was absolutely insane. And uh, I think I remember when I left, I was like, oh, man, I can't believe we didn't talk about that uh, during the interview. And the story with that, uh, we were on tour, I want to say in 2015 or 16. It was our first time over in the UK. And we brought this band out with us called Shields and became friendly with them. And uh, their guitarist, Sam, said, hey, you know, we got an off day. Come and stay with me. And I said, oh, sure. He said he lives right outside London. And we're, we're driving up and we begin to, to look around like, this is, this is insane. He can't possibly own all this property. And when we got there, it was an estate, you know, I'm talking multiple houses, uh, full staff. 
And he said, yeah, my, my grandfather was Stanley Kubrick. And uh, this is his day. So, it, you know, it, it sort of blew our minds. And we stayed in this converted stable uh, area, kind of a farm stable house that apparently uh, Stanley had converted into um, his editing studio. So he edited a lot of his films um, in these rooms and uh, Sam was kind enough to be like, Hey, you know, look around, whatever. So, you know, I found things like the, the, the real, like the original audio reel from full metal jacket was right sitting right there. Um, he took us on a tour of the entire house. We went into Stanley's library and, and saw, um, you know, the space odyssey statue, like some, some sort of, um, award he got for 2001 space odyssey, um, the masks from eyes wide shut. I mean, it was just absolutely insane to be in that place. Oh my and God. Wow. It was crazy. And, uh, eventually we, we, we wrote a song about the shining and I thought, you know, man, wouldn't it be cool? You know, uh, Sam's got a great voice. Let's get him to sing on it. And he was so down with it. And I remember I had the opportunity to write the lyrics for that part that he was going to sing in particular uh, after the fact that I knew he was going to do it. So I could kind of customize it to him. And I made sure to throw in lines like referencing the bloodline and just little nods to the fact that the dude singing has um, sort of a rich family history with, with the release of that film. How amazing. It was really cool, man. And, and, and it's been great to be able to continue to do stuff like that. Like when we did the uh, re-recording or sort of the re-release of Silver Scream Final Cut, we were able to throw in uh, some acoustic versions of songs. And thank God it's Friday, the song about Friday the 13th. I thought to myself, hey, you know what? I'm going to reach out to, to Ari Lehman, who played Jason. I, I don't know him personally, but I've heard he's a really nice guy. And I know he's in a band called First Jason. And he's a good singer. And uh, lo and behold, he got back to, to me immediately and ended up singing on our song about Jason. So to have the original Jason singing on a song about that franchise was, was really special to me. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's all. And then the Silver Scream Killer Cuts, that uh, vinyl release with six tracks and it, like buzzsaw shaped vinyl is coming out around October this year. Correct. And it's got that track on it. Yeah, it does. It was originally supposed to come out for record store day during, but, you know, obviously the whole COVID thing happened. So I think it got pushed back, but th that's going to be a really cool release of that. And, and just the fact that the, the, the vinyl is shaped like a saw <laughs> is pretty cool. Hopefully not too uh, dangerous. Right. Just don't get your <laughs> too close to the, the spindle there. Speaking of saw, there's uh the yeah the new Saw movie should be coming out soon too right in a couple months yeah they got pushed back finally is there any movies that you're really looking forward to that are coming out I know you the new Halloween's obviously anything else uh yeah I, I'm interested to see what what Chris Rock does with that and I think is Samuel Jackson in it too yeah that's uh, right I heard some murmuring about that I'm I'm really hoping they do Candyman justice uh because I I really love that movie. And uh, ex excited to see where they go with that. And uh, uh, another thing that was, was cool in, in terms of Candyman, I was lucky enough to do um, some an interview when that movie Hellfest was released pretty soon after we had spoken. And uh, I went to interview the cast and ended up being able to interview Tony Todd, 
and just talk to him a little bit about, you know, Candyman and the crow. And uh, that was a really cool experience. He was super nice. So I hope they do a justice to that, that character that he helped really uh, put on the map. If someone looks at your IMDb credits, there's something called the Dark Offerings. Is that something you're able to talk a little bit about now, or what's the status with that? Yeah, that, that was, um, I don't know how much I can talk about it, but I, I, it's a pretty cool concept that revolves around like the Zoom chat world and, and sort of uh, the, um, the rise of that in the wake of COVID. And uh, they asked me to do a, a small part in one of the uh, closing scenes on that. So I got to get on there and, uh, and uh, have a little uh, acting moment. So that was really cool. I'm looking forward to, to seeing how that turns out. And I think, uh, you know, my friend Felissa Rose, who, uh, you know, famous for the Sleepaway Camp, he's, <laughs> yeah. he's in that one as well. So I'm excited to see how that turns out um, and shakes out. That's amazing, dude. Spencer, thank you so much, man, for spending some time with us today. And it's been a real pleasure catching up with you, man. And it's it's honestly hard to keep up with you because you guys are operating <laughs> like a million miles per hour. I love it. Thanks, man. Well, thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure to talk with uh Real, uh, real fans of the genre. So, anytime. That was the Boo Crew Podcast, episode one thirty-seven. Special thanks to our guest Spencer Charnas from Ice Nine Kills. Follow at Spencer Inc. and at Ice Nine Kills on Instagram. That's Ice and the number nine kills. Also at Spencer Rice Nine K and at Ice Nine Kills on Twitter. Their latest full length is called The Silver Scream. Get it everywhere now. Ice Nine Kills dot com for more. If you like this episode, check out Spencer's previous appearance back on episode twenty-five. Episode 34 with Jessica Roth and Chris Landon. Woo! Episode 106 with Chris Motionless. What? I love love them. No, it's great. I love it. And episode... Happy death day. Woo! Episode 75 with Jamie Kennedy and episode 4 and 5 with Ash Costello. Please rate us and write us a review on Apple Podcasts if you enjoy what you are hearing. Like, if you could really, like, write a review. I mean, it's awesome that you press the little five-star thing. I love that, too. But, like, writing one would be so fun because I like to read them. They are pretty fun to read. Yeah, they make us really happy. And, hey, if you, you know what? If you do write one, Leo will read it on the show next time. Yes, Leo. Deal. All right. So, thank you for doing that. No one's going to do it, but thank you. (laughs) We appreciate you all. Music from this episode from Ice Nine Kills. Production tracks provided by Power Man 5000. Till next time, it's the Boo Crew saying sweet screams. (laughs) Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at Tales from the Boo. The Boo Crew is Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand, chopped and sliced by Trevor Shand. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation, part of the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Bye. A bloody disgusting podcast network, home of the Boo Crew, for horror-centric interviews, SCP archives, weekly full cast storytelling, horror queers, genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective, and creepy, for disturbing and terrifying creepy pastas. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.